All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Return. Return. <laughs> and today we are looking at Revelation 5, and we want to kind of just dive into this chapter, and there's so much yep. happening in this chapter, and a lot that is really encouraging, and I think a lot that um, obviously... When you just read it through, we see that there's a future where this is actually going to happen, but there's so much in this chapter that can root us and ground us in our lives today. And so yeah. we want to kind of just talk through things that encourage us from Revelation 5. So jump in with us. Okay, so we've kind of looked through this chapter briefly in a previous podcast episode, but like I mentioned, there's so much here that is amazing and encouraging. And um, I mean, each line in this chapter could be unpacked with hours of, of teaching and content and meditation. But we want to just go through a few things that really touch our hearts about what we see happening in this chapter. And so just to start off, I'm going to give you a brief overview again of what's happening. Basically, chapter five, this is coming, you know, right after uh, Revelation four, where we get the, th uh, the scene of the throne room kind of painted for us. And we get a glimpse into what the throne room of God looks like, you know, the we see the father who's seated on the throne and um, he dwells in light and there's all these sounds and noises and and all of that is painted for us. But then what happens is when we switch to Revelation 5, we zoom in more to that scene that we see uh, of the throne room. And when we zoom in, we see in the right hand of the father is a scroll and this scroll has writing on the back and on the front and it's sealed with seven seals and what happens right at the beginning of this chapter is there's kind of this drama that gets unfolded because this mighty angel st starts raising its voice and it says who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals and we know that this drama unfolds to where this search begins to happen for someone who is able, who is worthy, who is capable of approaching the Ancient of Days and actually taking the scroll out of his hand. And so that's the drama that's unfolding in the midst of it. And anyways, we just want to talk about some of the things that we really love and that touches about this chapter because there's a lot to it. Yeah, Revelation 5 and probably the title of this podcast is going to be how Revelation 5 is important for us now, today. And part of our heart is that um, you listen to this podcast and then you have, we give you like a menu of seven themes that are very important for us right now. And then you can go back and you can say, I don't know, read it and say, I want to dig into this deeper or this one or this whatever. So, um, yeah, Revelation 5 um, 
it's very intense for John. We need to start looking at John's impact because John is in the island of Patmos. He has seen all of his friends die. He's the last one of his class and he is in chains. He's been isolated. He's been probably beaten up. And and then he sees Revelation 4, which is it's amazing climax of some whole chapter of the father ruling and reigning. The father just having control over Rome, control over all the people who killed Peter and his friends who killed Jesus. And then this question that you were highlighting, Gabe, the who can actually take the scroll? And I'm thinking of a couple of things. I'm thinking, well, this scroll and is like the title deed of the earth. But it's interesting because the title deed of the earth was given to man. In Genesis, we see that uh, God gave dominion to man to rule and reign over the earth. And rightly so, we gave it to Satan as we submitted to him when we disobeyed God. We gave that title deed to Satan. But it seems like the Lord has a veto, you know, like he has a bigger title deed. He has a bigger right to take it back. But to take it back, you have to be a human to not violate God's God's will, God's law. So that's why heaven is asking who is a man who can bring back what we gave up in the garden. And obviously no human being, no David, no Moses, no one was found worth it. And then obviously uh, we have one of the themes that we can look into, which is John weeping deeply and bitterly. He is weeping because he's thinking, I just saw beauty. I just saw God, the ancient of days. I saw heaven in agreement with what we believe on earth as the apostles. I saw perfection and you're telling me that that perfection is not going to touch the earthly realm <laughs> like no one. And it seems like the 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 contrast of beauty and him being in chain and persecuted for the last 40 plus years as a Christian, it's so overwhelming that he started weeping and he forgets that Jesus, Jesus conquered and um so uh, I was just telling Gabe that that's one of the things that I love about uh, Revelation 5, that I believe John weeping, it's the heart of an intercessor, which can apply to us today, that we see, we know that if we pray, things change. We know the cause and effect of prayer. We believe it. But it's sometimes when, in the moment that we feel hopelessness, that we see things in our city that our local church can change immediately. Our life, of, like our secret life with the Lord can change immediately. And we come to re there, uh, realize that it, we need God to break in. We need Jesus to come back. And that brings another level of prayer that is, I think, I think the Apostle John stepped into that is like, if, Yes, we believe in revival. I saw Paul leading a revival in Ephesus. I was actually leading the revival in Ephesus too with Paul because that historically, historically what was happening before he was in the island of Patmos. So we're talking about people that saw real revival. And this apostle John still is in pain because he says there's something more. 
Jesus needs to take control of the planet. And he started weeping. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we can stay a little bit more here. Mm -hmm. Weeping in circumstances that are overwhelming to us can have an amazing fruit of intercession. Yeah. So if you're a mom right now and you see your children are disobeying or your children are not following the Lord or your church, there's a massive split that brings these like, you know, you can't fix it right away. It's a bigger thing. And it brings you to the point that you need Jesus to intervene. That's a good thing. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that those things are happening, but that deep pain and sorrow for Jesus to come back, it produces the heart of intercession. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this verse in verse 4 where it says, And I began to weep loudly. Mm. And I'm just thinking of what would that have looked like for John in that throne room scenario? Because we know that there's voices and there's thunderings and there's lightnings. There's all these other sounds that are happening. And yet the mark of what was happening to John is he is like openly travailing and and in deep sorrow and pain because for the moment no one was found who is worthy to open the scroll and i agree with what you were just saying is there something about this gift of of tears that when we tap into something that it's like it breaks us like you think of hannah in um, the old testament when she in in first samuel one and two when she's longing for a baby so much that she's just broken before uh, the, the tabernacle. And we know that she gets uh, a son later on. But the, all, all the different times in scripture and then in our own lives where we get to the point of almost this brokenness, this shattering of things are so outside of our control so outside of our ability to find the answer to it ourselves that the the response in us is just brokenness and it's weeping and how actually it's in that place that the answer comes and i'm thinking john begins to weep and out of his travail we see all of a sudden an elder come to him and it says don't weep anymore look like turn around and see the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And it's not that, you know, John weeping is what, uh, what produced Jesus all of a sudden, but I think yeah, there yeah. is something to cling onto here with John, John's intercession, John's weeping that, produces something inside of him even like a his own heart being uh, able to see now the answer and the vindication of god to see the solution of god to this massive problem of of no one being able to take that rightful place that rightful authority for there to be a human who's actually capable of approaching god that's not that doesn't come with human solution that doesn't come with human ingenuity it comes as a breakthrough and and an answer of god to the situation and so um i yeah i honestly i kind of have always thought about this passage of john weeping not understanding it most of the time but 
knowing that there's a lot of significance in that for us yeah. of, of John just tapping into some sort of intercession and travail that allows the will and the plan of God to start breaking through in that moment. Yeah, and um, going going to that phrase, do not weep, the first thing he says, well, there's comfort. So it's like get perspective, don't weep. And we can just break down verse 5, don't weep. So if you're in sorrow right now, if you're in pain in an impossible situation, like John, the, the heaven, the testimony of the elders, the, and I love that the Bible calls them elders because they have wisdom, they have experience, and they all know the right perspective. <laughs> there is the cloud of witnesses, right? And it says, don't weep. The cloud of witnesses is telling you, stop in pain of hopelessness. There's a, there's, there's a different perspective. Number two, it says, behold, change your Change the way that you see. Instead of looking at your pain and impossibilities and how big the enemy is, behold, number three, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love that it puts him as a lion. It's actually the only time that the Bible in the book of Revelation calls him lion. So he's fierce. He's amazing. He has prevailed. Then number four, the root of David, meaning he's not only a lion. He's not only the Messiah. He is the king. He is going to be the king that will finish our all of our bad situations forever. That and is, also just on that, he's mm-hmm. the promised root of David, which means it's the promise of God to Israel, which gets unfolded throughout all of the scripture, the promise of completion. Yeah. Everything that he said to Abraham, everything that he promised to David, it's all wrapped up in Jesus and God's promises are going to be fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. Something I also like is it doesn't call him the branch of David. It's not like he's the product of David's seed. He's, he's the, he says he's the root of him. He's the one has, that sustained him against Goliath. He's the one that made all the impossible things that happened in David's life for good. He was the one sustaining him. He's the son of David, but here in heaven, he, they, are, they don't know Jesus as the son of David. They know him as the root of David. I love it. And then it says, he has prevailed to open the scroll and loses its seven seals, meaning he actually, so it, it, heaven is telling us, focus on the resurrection. Focus on the death of Christ and focus on the resurrection. Because the the worst that can happen to us, the worst attack that the enemy can do against us is to kill us. After that, he can't touch us. And God is saying, you know, focus on what happens after the worst thing that could happen happens. And the, the enemy is done. So um, I'm not saying we need to think about like that, but heaven is... is um, I don't know. They're they're encouraging us to plumb line our way of thinking to eternity. So um, and it says he has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I love we were just talking about this, me and Gabe, how um, Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 to receive all the kingdoms of the world without dying, avoiding suffering. So he could have received the title deed of the earth from the hands of Satan, which is not the same as this, this scroll, meaning 
he, what Satan was offering Jesus is the kingdoms of this world in an inferior way of kingdom submitted to Satan. But because Jesus said no to every temptation, he died. Now he's able to receive the higher title deed of the whole universe, the earth, heaven, and on like everything. And so I love that the Bible is dignifying, like you were saying, Gabe, is that uh, a vindication of even our sufferings. Heaven is saying because the lamb died and he said no to this world and yes to the sufferings and yes to obedience. Now he's able to take the scroll. So in a microwave, when we suffer in this world, when we suffer because of the kingdom, because of Christ, we are conquering in the same victory of, of the lamb. So there's so many things in this chapter that apply to us today in in our sufferings and how we can behold a different thing anyways yeah and just as we wrap this up i want to go back to something that you were saying i mean touching on sufferings and and touching specifically on the resurrection i was reading actually this morning from first uh, corinthians 15 uh, and 1 Corinthians 15, you know, is one of the most famous passages on uh, the resurrection. And something that was really encouraging me from this passage this morning is there's like bookends to the chapter. And it starts off with Paul saying, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preach to you. And basically he's saying... Okay, the gospel I've preached to you, you've received it. It's, it's the gift to you. You're, you stand firm in this truth, meaning if you hold to this, you will not be shaken in your trial. You won't be shaken in, in the persecution that's coming against you. You won't be shaken by the troubles and the cares of life that are happening. And then he says, and by which you're being saved, meaning when we have the resurrection in mind, it produces, it causes the sanctification in the day-to-day because our choices get affected, our relationships get affected. All of a sudden, we're not viewing suffering, you know, as such a terrible thing to happen, but we're seeing it in light of the eternal weight of glory that is still ahead of us, knowing that the momentary light afflictions are just that, they're momentary and they're light compared to what is ahead of us. And so Paul starts the chapter like that, but then he ends the chapter in verse uh, 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And again, that brings, the resurrection brings justification to the pain and to the suffering of our lives. And something that I'm feeling provoked to go study more in the scriptures is just all of these commands that we see to rejoice in suffering. Hmm. I'm like, we fight against suffering with every ability that we possibly can here in, in the West. We hate suffering. We hate discomfort. We hate, I mean, for me, I hate bathrooms that aren't clean like to me it's suffering you know like showers that are not boiling water yeah 
like we just hate anything that is remotely uncomfortable and that's not even suffering you know that's not even real suffering there is real suffering and persecution and pain that the gospel brings justification to and so just tying that in with when we think of Jesus as the this lamb that was slain the fact that he was slain and he was resurrected he is all of a sudden bringing justification yep. to all of the rest of us we know he's the first fruits of many who are to come mm-hmm. which means because he was resurrected we know we also are going to be resurrected and that's why he's worthy to take the scroll he actually overcame the greatest enemy of all of us which is death he prevailed like you said not by giving in to the temptation of satan but by actually conquering uh the the curse of of uh this of sin which is death sin leads to death he was able to conquer sin conquer death approach the father approach the ancient of days and we know that he's worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because he was slain. It was by his blood that he ransomed us. He ransomed people from every language and tribe and tongue. And we know that when we are raised and resurrected with him, we are going to reign with him on the earth. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. There Again, there's so much more to this chapter that I feel like we could talk on for the sake of time. We'll probably just wrap it up here. But we just wanted this episode to be a shot in the arm to you to say like we're kind of pulling things now for personal encouragement and and um application obviously like if we were to talk about this in the context of revelation there is a lot of literal things that are going to happen in this chapter and um maybe we'll talk about that in another episode but there's kind of that saying you know, when you're going through a hard time, it says, well, you know, at least the Lord is still on the throne. Honestly, this these are one of those chapters. Jesus is on the throne. The Father is on the throne. They have control over the course of history, the course of your life. You can be encouraged even in trial and in suffering, in your weeping and in your pain because the Lamb has overcome and He is worthy. Yeah, and I will say too, to finish apply these to i mean this helps us to die to situations when we want to retaliate we want to push back to people and you know relationships that are hard and we want to defend ourselves that happens to us every single week at least but knowing that that the way that we can prevail with the lamb because the bible says if you die with him you will reign with him that, that opens up this reality that is scatological to our daily lives in a micro scale. So when I read this, I'm, I'm thinking there are certain things that I, I want to fight back. But if I take my cross and I become like the lamb and I die to my rights, die to my right to retaliate or whatever win our situation... I'm conquering and I'm gaining rewards. I'm gaining authority to even rule over principalities and powers. Not that it's um, that that gives my justification. It's, it's Jesus' victory what gives me everything. But every time I become like him, I'm gaining terrain against the enemy in my life. And so 
as we see the eschatological victory of the Lamb through his death, it gives us courage to live like him and sometimes look like we're losing, but actually we're gaining our lives through sufferings. Sufferings of not allowing our flesh to have the satisfaction of winning an argument or winning a fight or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what I take personally yeah. in this chapter. Amen. See you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye.